Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue in a series that we started last week on making the most of it. And what we're doing in this series is we're talking about how do we make the most of it when it comes to our finances? How do we trust God? How do we steward things well, be faithful in seasons when we have, and I have this slide from last week, in seasons where we feels like we have a lot, in other seasons where we only have a little. And so we talked about last week. And then today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how do we make the most of it whenever we have some. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife Abby and I moved here to Iowa in uh, 2017, and we'd moved here uh, three weeks before our oldest, Judah, was born, okay? So we were moving up here, finding, you know, settling into the hospital, all that kind of stuff at the last minute, and it was very crazy. Uh, I affectionately call that season of our life the hot mess express, okay? That's just the only way I can describe it. Uh, we didn't have any money. We didn't have a place to live, so we were going to be moving in with her parents, uh, and we were about to become parents. My car had just crossed over 310,000 miles, and so we were just like rolling in, right? Uh, it, was, it was just complete chaos. I remember telling people about it, and I still joke about it now a lot, but telling people about it, they would go like, wow, that's super exciting. It was like, what a nightmare. Like it was like either sides of it is how I feel like people were, were responding to us. But I joke about that season a ton, um, but it was actually, if, if I was to talk about it from this perspective, financially, that was a season where we only had a little, where we were just kind of getting by. Uh, our groceries at the time were WIC. Uh, We didn't have, we didn't even know what a savings account was, let alone have one. Uh, And work for us was kind of all over the place. This was when we had, we were kind of doing different things. I'd worked a job with a guy who was doing kitchen and bathroom remodels. And then I'd worked with another guy on a new build, helping him build a house. And then uh, right before we moved up here, I was a substitute teacher and Abby was a nanny. So as you can imagine, you know, when you think about that, like our finances were very sporadic, right? Our income was was kind of random and it was uh, inconsistent, but... It, we were in this, the way I described it is like we were in this kind of this pe- perpetual cycle of survival. That's how it felt. All I have to say, it was, yes, it was very stressful. It was a very crazy time, but it was also this really awesome time of miracles, of God providing in more ways than we could ever count. It's like when there wasn't money and God showing up at the last second, it was, it, we're blown away when we look back on it. All that led to April 2017 when we moved here. I was just starting to work here at the church, and uh, within a few months, we moved into our first home. It was this sweet little duplex in North Liberty, and it was, it was great. We, we, were, we were coming into a much more stable place as we were, you know, becoming parents, which was its own new level of chaos, right? Like, when you become parents, then all of a sudden it just gets crazy all over again, but in a very different way. But, you know, we had a consistent paycheck, right? We had a backyard. We had, things were normal, and it was great. Um, however, it was great. However, at that time, we did not live with a budget, and it, it showed, okay? Um, I remember most of the time, it was totally fine. But on a couple occasions, I remember we're waiting for payday, 
and just like scrounging, whatever we can do to make it happen. And I remember uh, selling things from our kitchen uh, in order to, to pay bills on time. I remember going out in the garage and saying, can we sell this on Facebook? Like just looking for things that we could, you know, move quickly and then all of a sudden have the money that we needed for our bills. Uh, and I remember it was a very, those are, that's a very stressful week. That is a very stressful week. And I remember one of them very well. And, uh, this one in particular stands out to me because I remember we were at our life group that week, okay? Right? Just having a stressful week, you know, money's tight, all this stuff. And we go to our life group. And at the end of life group that night, our life group leader asked if there were any prayer requests. And um, my sweet, wonderful, amazing wife, she is all of those things. Um, but on this night, she had the audacity to speak up when, when he asked if there was any prayer requests. And she said, yeah, if you guys could pray for us this week, we are having some financial problems. Nope, nope, wrong answer. I don't know what you think is the right answer, but I thought that was the wrong answer to share for a, for a prayer request at life. You could have you said, I pray that our baby sleeps through the night. That's okay. You could have said, our dog is sick. Pray for her. That's a good one. You could have said, I pray that I, I help, I apply what we talked about tonight. Great answers. Financial problems was at the bottom of the list of things that I wanted to be shared for prayer requests at life group. And this is what gets me about it. Because when I think about that, my wife is asking for prayer, okay, for something that is very stressful in our life, something that we want prayer for, something that we want God to move in. But I wasn't having any of it. Probably because I don't like to ask for directions, let alone financial advice. It's probably because it's really hard to admit when you make a mistake and tell other people that you messed up. Yeah, both of those are probably reasons with it. But to be honest, I think it was a little bit deeper than, than that. I think it's because I, like most of us, like to keep certain parts of our lives separate. Certain things don't belong with other things. We don't want to talk about finances in this place with other people. There's this really good picture that Rich has used over the years uh, that I love, uh, and I've, I've never forgotten this, is this, this picture of a dresser uh, to represent our lives. And I think this does a really good job of explaining this, so I'll do my best to kind of elaborate and explain it today. Um, but if, if this dresser represents our lives and each of the drawers would re represent a different significant area of our life. And for instance, think about your dresser at home. For, for me, I have, I have a socks and underwear drawer, right? I have a, a shirt, so I have pants, I have, I have a different drawer for different things so that when I reach into a drawer, I know what I'm going to find. And I think that we do the same thing with our lives. We have different drawers for different areas of our life. Now, for the sake of our time this morning, what I'd like for you to do is, is imagine that this dresser represents your life and think about what are the different drawers, what are the, the different compartments of your life that you would, you would divide it into, right? For instance, uh, you may have a relationships drawer, right? You may have a drawer, that, who are the most important people in your life? Who are all of your friends, your family, your loved ones, your spouse, your kids? Like, who are the people, the most important people in your life that, and, and that would all be grouped into this, this section of my life, this compartment of my life. Next, you may have a work drawer, a drawer that has, you know, what do you do for work? Or, or what is it that you want to do for work? Your ambitions, your goals, the education to get to that place, the side hustles that you have to make money, all that kind of fits into this section of our life with our work. You may have another drawer that would be for all of your entertainment, all the things that you do for fun. You got your, your hobbies, maybe your sports teams, go Chiefs, right? Um, 
That was just for me. I'm sorry. Um, the shows, the movies that you love, the books that you read, all that, your entertainment could go in this drawer of your life. Now, we all would definitely have a, a financial drawer. This is all of our finances, all of our, you know, our bank accounts and our, our hopes for money, our goals for money, our worries when it comes to money would be in our financial drawer. And finally, especially for those of us that would be here today, we would probably have a spiritual drawer. A drawer that has everything pertaining to our faith and the Bible and, and growing spiritually and all those different kinds of things. Um, now, most of you would probably be okay with me, a pastor on a Sunday morning, talking about things from the spiritual drawer of your life. You'd probably be okay with me talking about the Bible up here. You'd be all right with me talking about how do we grow spiritually. That'd be fine. That's why I was okay with going to life group and talking about, about the Bible. I came ready and expecting that. And some of you may even be okay if I talked about a few other areas. You may be all right if I talked about relationships because maybe that's even what's brought you here today because relationships in your life maybe feel fractured and you're looking for guidance. You're looking for what the Bible has to say about that, how to move forward in that. But for the most part, we would rather keep these things separate. We would rather them not mix and not be in different places. Uh, there's this book that's, that's called um, Jewish Spirituality and it was written by Rabbi Lawrence Kushner. And he wrote in this, in this book, he was trying to explain what, it, what Jesus's audience, how they would have heard and understood the words that he would say. It's helping us understand that. In this book, this is what he points out about that. He says, in Jewish thought, there's no such thing as a spiritual life. For them, all things are spiritual. Spirituality is the whole and all things fall under this umbrella. But for us, it doesn't always feel that way. It can look more like this. It can look like different compartments, that our spiritual life is, is a compartment of our life. It's a drawer in our life. It's not, it's part of who we are, not who we are. Um, and I think that the issue with that is that it leads to a separation of our spiritual life and the rest of our life. That's why it can be very easy to forget about or ignore your spiritual life for seasons, where it's like you just kind of forgot about it or you just were ignoring it. That's why we, we say things like, hey, I really need to focus on my spiritual life because we see it that way. That's why when Abby brought up finances at Life Group, I felt like those two did not belong in the same place together. That's why we can act one way at church and act a different way at work. And I think it's led to this place where our, our spiritual life is separate from our work life. Our spiritual life is separate from our sex life. Our spiritual life is separate from our finances. Now I get it. As soon as we start talking about that, as soon as we start doing this at church, uh, it can feel like that those, those other areas don't belong. Um, especially when I start talking about money, that it can start to feel uncomfortable. And I understand that and I want to acknowledge that. But here's what you need to know as, as we talk about this and why I love this picture so much. is because as soon as we start talking about faith as a compartment of our life, we're not really talking about the Christian faith anymore. Because the thing is, is that the way that Jesus taught saw that there was no separation. There was no division between those two, that it wasn't a spiritual drawer of our life, but everything was spiritual. For him to be the Lord of our life means that he's the Lord over our whole life. And that's what he's after. So today what I wanna do is I want to start a conversation and I wanna do so by ever so gently and carefully opening up the, the, the financial drawer of your life, okay? And I, I'll, I'll be careful, okay? I'm not, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here to, to you know, throw shame. I'm not here to do any of that. Um, what I want to do is I want to share my heart 
and I want to give you invitations uh, that I see in Scripture and that I've seen in my own life. And I've thought about this a lot because as I've been praying for this week, my prayer has simply been this, that you would trust God a little bit more today. This would give you the space to trust him in a new way. Today would give you the space and the time to welcome him into your finances like you have not before and that you would experience the other side of that. Because here's the thing, God, God loves us and God knows us and he wants, he wants what's best for us. He wants us to see, he's constantly in his word inviting us to a better way to live. He's constantly inviting us into a better way to see the world and to see our finances and our finances are a huge part of our lives. I mean, just look at, if you want to look at the significance and the importance of this, just look at how many times Jesus talked about money. 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables were about money or possessions. 16 out of 38. For the sake of comparison in the Bible, there are 500 verses about faith in Scripture. There's 500 verses about prayer in the Bible, but more than 2,000 verses about money, wealth, and possessions. And I believe the Bible talks about money so much. It talks about this idea because God knows us. He knows us and he knows that oftentimes the more money that we possess, the more it seems to possess us. And so we need a better way. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story from John chapter 6. So if you do have your Bible, you can open up to there. It's going to be a good place to start this conversation. And, and I hope to answer the question today, how do we make the most of it with our finances when we have some? How do we make the most of it when we have some? Because I bet you if I asked most of you here in the room, and just this is a rhetorical question, you don't, don't answer this. How, how, much, how much money do you have in your financial drawer? You would, you would probably say, you know, it, it may not be a lot, it, it, but it's probably not nothing. There's probably something in there. And so what do we do with the something, with the sum that we have? When John chapter 6, um, we see the popularity of Jesus is just risen dramatically, that he's become a very big deal and that he's performing miracles, healing the sick. He's preaching in ways that nobody has seen and heard ever before. And large crowds are following him everywhere. Everyone's just trying to hear the words he's saying, trying to, trying to get to Jesus so that he can heal them. Uh, and at this story in particular, Jesus has left the crowd and he's gone away to be with his disciples. He's, they've gone up on this hill and they're resting and they're sitting down together on the hill. As soon as they have a seat, all of a sudden they see a crowd approaching. It's like, okay, well, we were, we were going to rest, but now everybody's found us and they're following us here. And as Jesus sees the crowd approaching, he turns and he looks at his disciple Philip and he says this in verse 5. He says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, this is a super, super valid question from a preacher's point of view, okay? It's later in the day, people are starting to get hungry. And here's the truth. People eat, people's ears turn off once they get past a certain point of hunger, right? Like once you're at a certain level of hunger, you're, you're not here. I, I, I've seen it, okay? I, I know that some of you even right now are probably already thinking about what you're going to do for lunch after service, right? You're like, oh man, let's, let's, let's go figure that. And if I didn't, I just probably planted that idea in your mind. Now you're all wondering, okay, you're going to spend the next two minutes tuning me out to, to think about what you're going to have for lunch. Come back, stay here, stay here. Um, but this is what's happening, Okay. Uh, this crowd is approaching. All these people are coming to see, see, see Jesus. And he says, what if we fed all of them? What if we gave every one of them food? So he, he pitches this idea to Philip. Uh, but I love the way that John, the author of this, gives a, uh, some background to the story. Uh, and this way he says, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. But Philip doesn't know this. He doesn't know that Jesus is asking this to test him. So he's, he's thinking, hey, Philip, what do we do? There's all these people. How do we feed them? 
Philip is looking at it. He's, he starts running numbers. He starts doing some quick counting of, the, of everybody there. He's, and he's, you know, I imagine him almost being like, okay, you know, one, two. I already counted you. Move. Uh, where did they come from? Like, he's like getting frustrated as he's counting. Eventually, he probably gives up counting and he looks at Jesus and he says this. He says, um, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for everyone to have a bite. And I think that this line from Philip, what he says is to Jesus, it's less of a clarity of the need. It's less of a clarity of how many people there are to feed. And it's probably more of a discouragement of Jesus's plan to feed all of them. It's almost like this idea where he's saying that, hey, you know, I know that you would love to feed them all. I love your heart, man. That's why you're Jesus. Uh, but practically, it just doesn't make sense to, to feed every single one of them. And then he throws out, you know, do you know how much it would cost to feed them? It would, if we, you know, use half a year's wages, we could only give each of them one bite. And that's not even going to satisfy. And I love this, this thought because we've all been in that same place as Philip, where we see a need, we look at our finances, and then we essentially conclude, it probably won't work this time. Maybe, maybe next time. Maybe next time I could help out. Uh, love your heart, love the cause, but it's just not going to work. Uh, the truth of it is what Jesus is showing in this story to Philip and really to us is that his lens when it comes to resources, when it comes to finances, is very different than ours. The story shows us that the limited amount that we have, the sum that we have, often isn't the barrier that we think it is for accomplishing what God wants to do. The first thing that Jesus understands that we often miss is this, that where God guides us, he will always provide. Where God is guiding us, he will always provide. When God speaks to you and he says, go help that person, when you feel challenged and you think, hey, maybe I should take the this, this step and start tithing. Whenever you feel like, maybe I should write a check to them. Maybe I should, I should do something like that. Maybe I should go out of my way. What you need to know is where he's leading you, he's always going to provide for. I love the context of the story where, where Jesus says, or, or Jesus is thinking he already knew what he was going to do. He already had in mind what he was going to do. He was asking this to Philip. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this statement to be true that he, where he's guiding us, he's always going to provide because I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the stories here at Life Church. I hear so many stories of people saying yes to God and then all of a sudden God just comes through in, in these crazy ways. I've seen it. I've heard these stories from our missionaries uh, as they're raising funds and as they're doing things uh, preaching and, and, and helping people, all these stories of God coming through. I mean, look no further than the stories of each of our campuses. All three of our campuses have these moments in these stories where it's like it didn't make sense on paper, but God has provided. God has, God has made it happen. So when you look at your finances and you see, hey, I only have some, I don't, I don't have enough, just remember that where, is, where God is guiding you, he will always provide. For Philip, he's struggling with this idea though, because it doesn't make sense on paper. And this is the case for, for us, but this is also the case for the disciples all the time in the Gospels. Whenever you're reading the stories of Jesus, though, you can kind of see this pattern that this idea when the numbers don't add up, that's kind of like Jesus' sweet spot, right? That's kind of the moment that he's like, all right, just wait and see. Um, so personally, I just, I'd continue with this thought. This is how, how we can see it, that when the numbers don't add up, when you look at your finances and the numbers don't add up, just remember that Jesus often does his best work when the numbers don't add up. As Jesus is having this conversation with Philip, another disciple walks up. He's got this kid with him who has a sack lunch with five barley cakes and a couple of dried fish. And it's almost like he's coming up and saying, oh, look, Jesus, here, a sack lunch. You could give everybody a crumb. Woohoo! like we did it. Um, but I think this is why I love this story so much. This is why this is so good. Because, I mean, yeah, it's true. That, that little lunch, 
was not very much, especially in comparison to the need, especially when you looked at how many people were there. But it was some, right? It was some. And as it turns out that when you give Jesus our sum, it's pretty amazing what he can do with it. Just look at verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. If you know the story, um, they went around afterwards and picked up baskets full, baskets full of leftovers that after Jesus did this miracle, that there was more than enough for what God wanted to accomplish on that day. And so the question I think we have to ask ourselves today is what are you going to do with the sum that you have? What are you going to do with your sum? Will we see our sum as nothing or will we see it as a miracle in the hands of Jesus? Ready for him to do what he wants to do with it. I think one of the first things that will prevent us from giving Jesus our sum is this idea of contentment. Contentment, being discontent is something that I think a lot of us feel that we live in this world of more. We're bombarded by all the more that we need. I mean, just think about, we, we need more clothes because we have nothing to wear, right? We need to, to this new house because, oh my goodness, you should see it on Zillow. It, it is just, it's so perfect. We need to remodel everything and it's all Joanna Gaines and HGTV's fault. Whoever is telling us to put shiplap on everything is, is telling us that we need to do it. <laughs> Um, or my favorite one right now is uh, TikTok made me buy it. I had, I had no choice. I, I had to buy it. TikTok made me do it. I love this description. I think it nails it from Lawrence James. He says this. He says, more. If there's a single word that summarizes American hopes and obsessions, it's, that's it. More. More money. More success. More luxuries. More gizmos. We live for more for our next raise, for our next house, the next thi- uh, and, and the things we already have, however wonderful they are, they pale in comparison to the things we might still get. Now, personally, I'm right here with you. I always want more. But I have this, I have this way of, get, of getting around it in my mind, okay? Um, if I go and I buy something, oftentimes here's what I do. I don't tell you directly how much money I spent on the thing that I bought, but rather... I tell you how much I saved by getting it on sale, okay? All right, how many of you, how many of you love a good sale? How many of you always love, you like to look for good sales? Okay, yeah, gotta love a good sale. There's, there's a rush with it, there's an excitement with it. Um, but what I've noticed is that is me justifying my behavior for more by saying, I got more on sale though, it's a really good deal. Um, this, this whole thing, this whole idea of looking for deals, looking for things on sale has led me to really love the Facebook Marketplace. Um, there's a lot of really cool things you can get on Facebook Marketplace. There's, there's a lot of things you should not buy on Facebook Marketplace. Um, there's certain things you just shouldn't, but uh, I'm not going to lie. I have gotten very good at finding deals on Facebook Marketplace. I've gotten really good at it. Maybe someday I'll do, I'll do like a webinar. You guys can all join my webinar of finding deals on Facebook Marketplace by Jairus Beckett. Um, but here's what I've noticed, okay? As I scan the Facebook marketplace for a fourth guitar, okay? That's not a joke. <laughs> As I scan the marketplace for a pair, another pair of Jordans or a truck that I don't really need, I constantly find myself thinking about what I want. All I'm doing is thinking about what I can get, what else I want. I find myself... Um, 
I'm less grateful, less thankful for the things I do have. I'm thinking about other people less and myself more. And I find myself constantly comparing in, these different, in this place. And I think that if comparison is the thief of joy, then I think in many ways, contentment is the key to happiness. Contentment is the way that we resist that idea for more. And we say that we want to, have to be content. Um, so I think rather than thinking about all the things and all the ways that we can get more, all the things that we need and that we want more of, what if we started replacing those thoughts with thoughts, uh, with, with those discontent thoughts with what scripture says? Just look at these different passages. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Ecclesiastes 6.9 in the Good News Translation says, it is better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else. Or I love this in Luke 12, 15. This is in the, uh, the Living Bible paraphrase. Uh, don't always be wishing for what you don't have for real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. There's an idea of being content and seeing our finances the way that God does that I think is the way to life. So the question is, how do we make the most of our finances? How do we let, how do we let scripture be our guide in this place where we only have some. And I've, as I've thought about this week, I, I wanted to give you something that I feel like will be helpful and practical as we, as we take this forward. And so here's making the most of it, I think requires three things when we only have some. We need a plan, we need a vision, and we need a dream. So let's break that down this morning. So first of all, if we want to make the most of it, we only have some, we need, first of all, we need a plan. Uh, when we only have some, that means that there is a limited amount of money that we have. That if we are not careful, if we don't use it carefully, we will run out. And uh, so first of all, when it comes to this idea, if we want to make the most of it, we have to have a plan for where our money is going. We have to have an idea and a, a budget to know where those things are going to happen. But beyond that, I think that we also have to have a plan to be generous. Generosity and giving are oftentimes something that feels like a later thing in our life. Well, when I have more, then I'll give or, or whenever I, I can do it. But I think that's the issue is that we also then get to this place where we say, well, if I have anything left, then I will give that. But the issue with it is that waiting for later, waiting to see what's left is kind of, it's a moving target. There are countless things in our lives that will always need our money. There will always be things that we're going to need. That we're going to save, we need to save up for a new car. We're going to need to go on vacation. There's no shortage of things that need our money. And the Bible talks about giving as the idea of first fruits. Uh, you don't just give, but you give first. And that's why we teach this idea of tithing. The, the idea of giving 10% of your income back to God before you know if you'll have enough is just so backwards in so many ways of thinking. But I love the paraphrase of Deuteronomy 14 when it describes it like this. It says that the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. For this to be a part of who we are it's not something that can be an afterthought. It's not something that can just be, giving can't just be a response to hype or emotions or convincing. This has to be something that we think about. Living generously has to be a thought and a decision ahead of time. Because the reality is my budget reflects the things that I value. And I want my budget to, to reflect the fact that I want to trust Jesus with the sum that I have. 
Now, for some of you, uh, you're like, great, great news. I have a plan. I have a plan to be generous. I have a plan for where my money is going to go. Uh, and we, we have to have a plan of it, but I think we also have to keep in front of us the vision of why we're doing what we're doing. We need a, a vision of what God could do with our sum. Uh, a vision gives purpose to something. So a vision for our finances is giving purpose to them. A vision to get out of debt is, gives a purpose for you to save money on groceries and to get a side hustle, right? A vision to retire early gives you a purpose for saving your money. It's not just for no reason. And a vision for what God can do with our money gives us purpose to being generous. I mean, the question I wanted to ask you today is, imagine what God could do with your sum. Imagine. Imagine what he could do with your, with your decision, decisions of generosity. Imagine the lives that could be impacted because of your giving to kingdom builders, for instance. Imagine the lives all over the world that could be changed. Imagine the, the lives here in our own community. I mean, look, look no further than, than Lifehouse, who, which is right here locally, and the girls will probably be here for third service. But look, meet one of these girls who came in with addiction and left with their life transformed, Right? And you'll have a vision for what God could do with your generosity. Meet, meet one of our students that we've given scholarships to go to summer camp. And they go to camp and they have their life transformed. Meet one of them and you'll have a vision for what God could do with your finances. Because when you see it, when you see what God can do, it gives purpose to that generosity. Um, imagine the families that could be served because of your generosity when it comes to a Servolution event, for instance. Several of Cedar Rapids schools who we've served with Servolution Back to School or Thanksgiving have reached out to me over the last couple of years, and they've sent me notes uh, after we've, you know, given bags or helped out their, their school, their, their families. And this is one that I wanted to read you from a school counselor. She said, thank you again for the incredible gift you gave so many of our families in need during this Thanksgiving holiday season. There are so many families who were incredibly appreciative, and I hope that your congregation knows the positive impact in the, that gift had on on our students and families. And um, that was you. You did that. And what's crazy about it is that they've kept reaching out. Since then, uh, we've been invited to support, we, we were invited to support a single mom uh, right when she lost her job right before Christmas. Uh, since then, we were invited into a middle school for the whole day uh, to spend the day at, at their PE classes. We brought nine, nine square and gaga ball, and we just spent the whole day playing with, with all of their middle schoolers. Um, and the opportunities keep on coming to, to serve and, and make a difference in our community. Um, imagine what God could do with our son. So we need a plan, we need a, a, a vision, and then finally we need a dream. A dream of making an impact in this world. How could you developing a lifestyle of generosity lead to an enormous impact in your lifetime? Uh, we've been talking about this year uh, as a church, this imagery of lift the sails. And the concept of lifting the sails is the idea that we're going we're gonna to trust God. We're going to take steps of faith that trust God enough to lift the sails in our life and catch the wind that he's blowing, catch where he's leading and where he's taking us. And it's an opportunity to say, God, I don't know exactly where we're going. I don't know exactly where this wind will blow, but I trust that by saying yes to you, that you're going to lead and direct us. And... Um, I think the question is, what areas, do we, uh, what areas do we need to trust him in? What areas do we want to see where he's going to lead us? And, and I, as I've thought about this in this idea of, of a dream, of a dream when it comes to being generous, when it comes to this, uh, I, wanted to, I just wanted to ask you this question today. Um, if we need a dream of the impact that we can make in this life, 
If you put your sum in the hands of Jesus and he multiplied it, what is that 12,000 person need that you would want to see met? If you were to trust God with the sum that you have, in the same way he did in this story, he were to multiply it and keep going with it, and you could see a need in this life met, what would that be? Who are the people that you would want to serve? What are the organizations that you would want to get behind? What are the, the things that you want to see stop because of God multiplying efforts in this? Dream. Imagine. What, what could it be? What are those things that get you excited? What are those things that you feel so passionately about having to, to right wrongs, having to help? Imagine this. Imagine the dream of making an impact like that. Seeing God do things that you could never imagine just by giving it to him. We saw it in the story. We've seen him do it all throughout our lives. Imagine what God could do. Imagine that huge 12,000 person type need that you could see met. And I want you to remember the, the ideas we talked about when we read that story, that where God guides us, he will always provide. Jesus is often doing his best work when the numbers don't add up. And what if he has the same thing for us? I want to go ahead and invite you to stand as, as we close. Um, and I want to take just a few minutes before we finish just to um, reflect and to respond. I think it's really important uh, as we hear what God has to say to, God, where, where, where do I go from here? And I want to come back to where we started with that, that picture of a dresser. And I just want to extend an invitation for you today to, to not see your spiritual life and your financial life as separate drawers, but to say, Jesus, from this day forward, all of my drawers are yours. All of my life is yours. I don't want to just give you some. I want to give it all to you and let you do what you can. Now, for some of you here today, that may be a huge step because you say, hey, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm here because somebody brought me or I'm here kind of checking it out, figuring what this is all about. Or maybe you're even here today and you'd be in that, that boat where you're like, I, I have forgotten about my spiritual life for a long time or I've, I've ignored it for, for some time. And I just, I guess I would say this, I wanna invite you to trust Jesus with your life. I wanna, I wanna invite you to trust him with going forward, trusting him, letting him lead the way. And for some of you, that, you're here because you've tried it on your own. You don't feel like it's working. You're seeking for something out, for something else. We've got people who are ready and willing to walk with you through that. And so maybe you're here and you're saying, hey, I'd love to do that. I'd love to know what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus, to trust him with my life. I don't really know what to do. I don't know how, where to start from that. There's cards on the back of those seats. Those cards that, that we have every single week um, are they have a section at the bottom that says, I decided to follow Jesus today. And there's, an, there's another spot where you can either write in or you can mark that you wanna know more about Jesus. And if you want somebody to walk with you through this, to give you some steps, be there for you, um, mark that card. We wanna walk with you through it. We wanna help you learn what that means to trust him with your life. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to acknowledge before we close is that some of you may be here today and you're, you're pretty encouraged by this idea of making the most, you, you wanna make the most with, with the sum that you have. Uh, but your biggest hang-up is that for oftentimes money can be a pretty big issue for you. Money can be a thing that it feels chaotic, it feels stressful. That the stress around money has affected your sleep. The stress around money has affected your marriage. It's affected your relationships. Your stress around money has affected your mental health and you feel that. And I, I, I've been there. 
I mean, I, we've been there. We, we, we know those feelings. We know that idea. And, and maybe today what you need in order to move forward is you need what Abby and I needed. You need help. You need somebody else to walk with you through it. Last year, Abby and I stopped trying to pretend that we've, we've got it all together and we've got this and we, we signed up for a class. And I don't have everything figured out. I don't want to pretend like I do today. But man, let me just say this. The last year of my life has been radically different because of it. The last year of my life, from one moment where we finally said, we can't do this on our own, has led to a catalytic change that's affecting all areas of my life. And so we have our financial roots uh, starting up in April. And maybe for you, that's the next step. Making the most of it with what you have means signing up for something, signing up to be a part of that. Um, but I felt deeply all, this whole week as we've look, looked about this and talked about this idea that God is, God is ready to multiply the sum that we have. He's ready for us to put what we have in His hands and do more with it than we could ever imagine, than we could ever think. And uh, I believe that as we do, as we take those steps of faith, that we lift the sails in these areas of our life, that we're going to see Him do miracles, that we're going to see Him do things that we've never, never seen before, uh, and that we can trust Him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you today. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much. Uh, I thank you so much for how much you love us, for the, the way that you are working in our lives. You're inviting us back to come and walk with you, to learn the way that, that you're leading and directing us. So Lord, right now, I pray that as we give you our finances, as we learn to trust you with our sum, that you would do more than we ever could by ourselves. I pray for those that, that have so much anxiety when it comes to money, Lord, that you would just begin to bring peace, that you would just begin to say, you can trust me with this. You can trust me to go further. You can trust me as we take steps. And Lord, I just ask that you would meet needs, that you would birth dreams in our, in our heart of things that we want to see, things that we didn't even know that we were that passionate about, that all of a sudden we're putting it in your hands and we're saying, God, would you meet this need? Would we see people saved out of human traffic? Would, would we see hungry people fed? Would we see lives transformed? Would we see people pointed back to you that don't even realize their need for you right now because of our willingness to step out and say, God, we trust you. I ask that as we look to give you our whole lives, not, not to separate it out and make our spiritual life one life and the rest of our life, that you would give us steps forward this week, opportunities, moments where we see the division that we have in our life and bring it back into alignment with you. We give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship.